Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're continuing our Tartan Talk series by having a conversation with Greg Martin. This is the second time we've brought Greg onto the podcast, but this time's a bit different. When we recorded with him in 2016, we did it in Jersey City overlooking the Manhattan skyline, and we had a lot of helicopters flying above us, and we had a very brief conversation about match play. This conversation is quite different. Greg is going to discuss what the workflow is like for a golf course architect, and he's also going to describe what operating a Starbucks has to do with operating a golf course. But before we get going with Greg, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a giant supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a number of industry efforts, including the work of golf course superintendents. So we're glad to have them on board, and we're glad that Greg was able to take some time to join us again. Well, Greg, it's great to have you on the podcast, and we're recording this in mid-March. And the first thing I'm curious about, what is the start of spring like for a golf course architect? The start of spring for a golf course architect uh, really depends on the year and uh, an economic situation. And even even that, it could, it could differ uh, from architect to architect. Uh, what we hope uh, is that we've bid out a number of projects and uh, we've had materials in front of superintendents before they get busy. So the, uh, you know, the, the, the spring is what we hope for, um, like baseball, uh, it, it springs eternal. Um, we, we hope for a, a busy summer and fall, and that starts you know, in the year before. Yeah, how tough is it for a golf course superintendent or a general manager or an owner or a green committee to really make long-term decisions about their golf course when the actual heart of the golf season is going on? Uh, yeah, we're all squirrels, you know. We get we get distracted, and we, the last thing we want to do is be thinking about uh, a year and a half down the road when we want to be out playing golf. Um, it, it's it's important that a that a superintendent and and the greens committees and the boards understand uh, that there is there's incredible value to long term planning. It allows the architect to understand. Um, um, the full range of goals, the full range of needs, see the golf course and the, and the conditions of the golf course in, a, in, in, in multiple seasons and have a better understanding of the best way to, uh, you know, implement the improvements. So the, th- that value is, is often translated into, uh, into the, the bottom line and, uh, you know, more time to understand the, the issues uh, means, uh, you know, a better bottom line and a better project. I think a lot of our listeners and followers and readers know what the workflow is like for a golf course superintendent, and a lot of that's dependent on the weather and the part of the country they're in. But how about a golf course architect? Like, how do you structure your days, weeks, months, and years? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I've been doing this for thirty five plus years now. I, I think I think I can better understand my processes on a on a 20, 18 to 24 month, maybe 30 month uh, scale. Uh, so it's not so much yearly based as it is um, the ebbs and flows of the industry and, and some of the other things. I can see out um, maybe, you know, six to, to, to 24 months at a time and understand what I need to be doing and how I need to be doing it. And that, and that relates back to, you know, what, what's going on in the industry and, and, and some of the things that the superintendents might be needing. That said, I mean there there are time frames within time frames, and you know the winter time is often best spent 
detailing plans and getting bid packages ready for uh, you know the late winter, early spring to be prepared for the summer and, and fall construction seasons. Uh, which means you know you back up into that and you look at the the time frames it's best to get started in some of these these things in in October and November, uh, which allows us the time over the holidays to do those things. So um, we can back into these things and understand them in the best way to go about that. Uh, but that takes a, a you know again it goes back to that that long term planning and how valuable that is with the superintendent and the owners. Was that tough to grasp early in your career? Was it difficult? realizing that maybe you wouldn't have what some people consider a normal work schedule and a normal workflow. Yeah, uh, it is. You know, we want to see, we want to we want to see things built immediately. We want, we want things to happen uh, instantaneously. That isn't uh, necessarily the best way uh, to go about this. This is a, this, this is an industry that turns slowly. Uh, that's the good and the bad. Um, the fact that it does turn slowly is a, is a good thing, but the fact is, is that if you're going to be spending millions of dollars on improvements, you want to make sure that you do it correctly, uh, and that means that uh, spending a little bit more time to make sure that those in- that infrastructure and those improvements are done in a way that is beneficial uh, will will ultimately help the game, and it's ultimately going to help the client. Yeah, speaking of projects that took a long time, and there were a lot of layers involved. <laughs> two years ago, before it opened, I had a chance to visit the preserve at Oak Meadows in suburban Chicago. Tell our listeners that aren't familiar about that project and what has it been like since that golf course reopened in 2017? Well, the project was a, was a, was a massive um, investment by the Forest Preserve District of DuPage County. And um, it was intended to, to, to revitalize a golf course that happens to be in a large uh, Forest Preserve setting. The, the investment to rebuild the golf course was, was partly to make sure that the operations and sustainability of that golf course could be maintained. The bigger part of that was to provide a, a better preserve and stormwater management and water quality issues for um, the surrounding communities. Um, the bottom line is that the, the project is massively successful. Uh, it has handled the, the flood issues um, as hoped. Um, and as planned, which is not a surprise to those who, who, of us who are doing the math and, and understanding the, the contours, but um, the surrounding communities were skeptical, uh, seeing all these big machines out there for two years at a time and rerouting of a, of a fairly significant creek. Ultimately, it's, it's generating the buzz and the, and the feedback that we were hoping. It isn't, something, it isn't a golf course that is going to stun you immediately, but the, but the landscape will, will make an impact. And um, golfers are returning as 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 hoped, uh, and the buzz is uh, continuing. So yes, we've 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 enjoyed a couple of years of of success. What is the role of the golf course superintendent after a golf course reopens? You live in Chicago. How often do you go back to the preserve at Oak Meadows? And what are some things the golf course architect does in that year or two after it reopens? I think there's there's ongoing consultation. Uh, the, 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 the superintendent, if if he isn't involved from day one in much of the planning, it's you know you're you're behind the eight ball, and it's going to be more and more difficult to catch up. The 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 role of the superintendent should be integral to the success of the project. Uh, he's going to be able to see the infrastructure go in, the drainage, understand what's happening with the irrigation systems, uh, have a good handle on all of that, so that the growing should be seamless. Uh, and, and the golf course architect, um, I, I've had the, 
the opportunity to go out and, and, and play and look around and see what's going on, um, mostly because as a, as a golf course architect, you want to see how the golfers are using it, where they're hitting the ball, you know, some of the things that you anticipate, uh, some of the things that you, you may, you know, small little things that you might have missed on, but uh, hopefully they are small. And there's no architect that's going to get it right the absolute first time, but if you can keep those, those issues minimized, that's good. There's been a number of smaller projects, just to, you know, some, some added drainage and, and things like that. Uh, but the superintendent, his role, his role is uh, integral to the success of a project. What is it like playing a golf course that you spent years working on? Do you go into it still with a, a critical eye, or do you go into it with a uh, sense of extreme satisfaction and appreciation? Yes to both of those. Yeah, you're, you're, you're always critical. Um, you're critical of your own work. You're trying to understand uh, what it is that, that, that you know, got you to the point uh, where you envisioned something. Um, and then those criticisms, it, it's much like parenting. You know, you, you see things that you could have done better or you should have said or, or done, or, uh, but you also understand the value of uh, the things that you did do correctly and, uh, um, and how that thing is going to live in the landscape. So um, no, it's it's a there there are a few things um, uh, that are any more pleasurable than going back to play a golf course that you've uh, uh, that you've designed and spent so much time and effort on. Greg, you give a lot of talks to a lot of various groups inside and outside the the golf industry, including golf course superintendents. You recently gave a talk to some superintendents in Northwest Illinois about a concept called journey mapping. Explain what that means to our listeners and how. Can this concept help somebody in the golf industry? Journey mapping is not, uh, it's, not a new, it's not a new concept. It's, um, it's essentially understanding how your customer sees your product and, and, then, and, then, and then looking at, at that in a way that could be valuable. You know, this is something that Disney has done. This is something that um, Starbucks has, has done quite successfully. And if, you, and if you think about the Starbucks model, um, it's selling coffee. I mean, it's it's not it's not a complicated thing. I mean, but the the idea that Starbucks created was they've they've understood everything from anticipation all the way through um, the customer experience and how people enter into a, uh, a particular store uh, through the engagement and then uh, the exit and then even to the point of reflection and did they enjoy that cup of coffee. Well, you you can you can take that and understand how they've broken it down into into parts and bits, and see how uh, that could be relatable to the entire golf experience. When you when you think about the the golf experience, you're thinking about uh, everything from anticipation and entry and engagement to to the exit and and the reflection. Um, those are those are the same things, and, and if you total all the, those things together, you get what anybody would think about as, as being the brand. So, going back to the Starbucks idea, you have you, you have a millennial. He, that millennial is interested in first of all the cup of coffee, but they want to use the app. I mean, that's the that's the important part about them is they want to pay quickly and get in and get out. Whereas, if you think about a senior who wants to go get a cup of coffee, the most important part about that experience is engagement. So when they when they when they think about all those things, they're also thinking about the various the various people that might be um, and and customers that are that are exposing themselves to uh, to that experience. When you're looking at golfers, you you think about frequent golfers who are fairly have 
high expectations and sophisticated uh, senior golfers, low-frequency golfers, or beginning golfers, women, juniors. There's a variety of different expectations, and they all have different needs and, and, and wants. So when you, when you think about journey mapping, you're thinking about uh, how each part of that, that entire experience, everything from uh, the anticipation all the way through the exit and reflection might, might um, uh, impact those, uh, those customers. Listen, we, th- th- this game that we, we uh, participate in, uh, this game of golf, uh, it's discretionary uh, spending. It, people, people choose to play golf. And if you want people to choose to play golf at your facility, you need to be thinking about everything that you can possibly uh, impact and how those things impact uh, that that discretionary spending. Was there a moment or has there been a moment when Greg Martin, the golf course architect, has been in a Starbucks and has thought, wow, this really relates to to the golf business? Listen, it's discretionary spending, and whenever whenever I, I spend discretionary money, I'm always looking around, thinking about what what they're doing and how they're doing it to uh, to compel me to to spend more money. Um, when I was down in Disney, you know, 20 years ago, I was looking around. What's interesting about Disney is that is that they they tell you where to take take a picture, right? They tell you this is a photo moment. I mean, they, they, there's there's stuff on the ground that say take a picture here. We do the same thing in the golf industry when we stand up on a tee or on the green. We're, we're compelling that golfer to take a mental picture and say, this is a good spot to remember. This is a good spot to take a picture. Those things that they do down there at Disney, you know, what's interesting about Disney, you know, I can get into the, I can really get into the weeds here. They've done studies about where to put trash cans, and they know that when you leave certain um, food, food court or areas, um, for instance, a ham- if they have a hamburger, they know it's going to take you about 15 steps before you need to throw away that wrapper. So that, and on average, 15 steps, that's a good place to put the trash can. Whereas if you're having an ice cream sandwich, it's only going to take six or seven steps. So that trash can is at the six or seven step point. It isn't necessarily important to know the details of that. What is important to know is that is that they're thinking about those customer experiences, right? They're making it very easy to make sure that, that the experience is easy and available to, to the person who is visiting there. Craig, what are some strategies people working at golf facilities can implement to better understand that customer experience? I think uh, it, it comes down to understanding that, that, that you need to look at your product through the customer eyes. You can't, you can't believe... Um, that um, everything you do is going to be exactly right. That, that the customer, the customer is going to want it done a certain way, or they're going to want to feel a, a certain um, a certain experience. It doesn't mean that uh, the customer is uh, will know better, but the customer ultimately is going to tell you one way or the other um, uh, the way they spend their money. How can a golf course architect aid in this process? Well, I think many golf course architects, um, uh, you know, they are thinking about these things. Um, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're, we're confined to the golf experience. Uh, that is the, you know, the, the field of play, but sometimes um, we'll have a better handle on circulation issues around a clubhouse or the entry or, or, or the, the logo and, and the branding. Um, and, and not the, you know, clubhouse architects and, and some of the other uh, design professionals don't know well, some of these things, 
but having our involvement in many of those things, I think, would be beneficial because we understand what the golfer um, is looking for. They're looking for experiences. They're looking for genuine experiences, and and, and those experiences are often um, built from all these parts, from everything from the anticipation uh, all the way through uh, the exit and reflection. And that comes down to even things, you know, as simple as how they answer the phone, and and what that engagement is, or or what the, you know, how the approach to the practice facility might look, versus the approach to the first tee, or you know, what's seen on a certain hole. Um, all these things are valuable, and and the customer takes those things away. When anybody does a honest and third party assessment of their product, there's bound to be some criticism of it. And most of the time, that's constructive criticism. How do you handle that as a golf course architect? How do you see people facilities handle criticism that they face when they're do- doing these analysis? You've touched upon something. It's it's really, really, really necessary to have some some honest, brutal self examination, and um, it, it's it's necessary to be to be honest um, with with that assessment. Um, it's also it's also necessary to be to be skeptical, uh, but also be um, be wary. And um, sometimes those assessments are very very difficult because, I mean, how often how often do you go to a golf course and you play, and the entire experience is great except for that one crazy crazy golf hole, uh, and you go ah, that was that was weird and it was strange, and you might say something to to one of the members about. That, that quirky golf hole, and they say that that's their signature hole. Well, it, it's the signature hole because it's quirky and weird and, and probably doesn't fit with the rest of them, but they, they believe that to be the most important thing that they have. That's a good, that's a good jumping off point because it, it might be worth looking at making adjustments to that golf hole. That's going to be very, very difficult for many clubs to, to, to hear that because that might be the most endearing part of the, the experience to them. How much do you think about what golfers are going to think when you're making your design decisions? Yeah, you hope it isn't um, necessarily, um, um, you know, front of brain. You, you you want you want those those golfers to be absorbing it in a way that is um, almost second nature. That they're taking in taking in thousands of clues uh, simultaneously that are very very subtle, um, and those and those clues ultimately. And, the, and those messages ultimately will build into a into a larger feeling of yeah I like that place. They might not know why they like it, but there's a thousand reasons why they do. Um, the, the the hardest part about what we do as as architects and those that are that are very successful um, is they 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 do those things, and it doesn't seem like the architect did much. And whereas the architect did a lot, I mean, it, I, I learned something a long, long time ago that that the that the most important thing an architect can do, or any designer can do, is edit. And and editing is is really, really important. That that sometimes you don't want to load it up, if you will. Sometimes it's necessary to to pull things out and 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 trim stuff back that isn't necessary to uh, to the ultimate experience. So yeah, um, you, you want that you want that golfer and that and and that that person who's spending that money to feel like that is something special, but they don't know exactly why. They just they just like it. 
yeah, editing's obviously a huge part of my job and what we do as magazine writers and editors. And sometimes you can go a bit overboard, right? Like, does there come a point where you're like, man, I've made so many changes that I just need to execute now? Yeah, it's part of the process. Um, I mean, one of the things that, that architects, we all have is a lot of good ideas. Um, and the, the, the problem is those good ideas don't always fit in, in certain projects. So we have to figure out which good ideas are, are best suited for certain projects. Uh, the best architects I know are the ones that are very, very good at figuring out uh, how to edit and, and, and make sure that the, that the project is um, successful on its own merits, not because of um, some idea that they've, they've forced in there. Um, and I'm, I'm guilty of it. Everybody's guilty of it. It's just a matter of how well we can, uh, we can edit. Greg, a few weeks ago, we were trading emails, and you sent me a collection of some articles you wrote, and they were excellent. And one of them I want to talk about in particular is you wrote an article, a column, about this concept of authenticity and how it applies to golf. Explain that term and how thinking about authenticity can help someone that's working in a golf facility. It came down to this, this concept of sustainability, and, and um, I've always appreciated the concept of sustainability, but I never, I, I couldn't get past this idea that sustainability is not something that you can market. You know, you know, golfers, golfers don't, don't want to go to a golf course that is sustainable. They want to go to a golf course that is, um, that has a strong experience. Um, I, I, I believe in the, in, in the environmental benefit of, of golf. Uh, and I, and I work really, really hard, um, to make sure that everything I do has some level of environmental benefit above and beyond what, what the, what the golf project might necessarily need. So I started thinking about this, this concept of authenticity and the, the, the game of golf is better. Um, when we play golf courses that are, that are more closely rooted in their landscape. I mean, if you think about the greatest golf courses that you've played, they're usually in places that, that, that have some sense of what that landscape is. Those are typically, probably, uh, and and more definitely sustainable because they are rooted in the landscape, um, and those experiences are probably more valuable because of uh, those things. So sustainability is really a byproduct of of an authentic golf experience. So, bottom line is, can you can you root, uh, can you build golf design experiences into into an existing landscape? in a better way, in a more authentic way uh, that is true to that landscape. And if you, and if you can, um, the experience will be more valuable and your golfers will be more appreciative. Do you think in 10 years we'll still be using the term sustainable or do you think the industry and other industries will have come up with a different way of saying it? Oh, gosh. That's a, I don't, I, 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 this has been driving I, me crazy um, since I started at Golf Course Industry five years ago. <laughs> yeah. I have the same kind of... Um, in a question, nagging question in the back of my head, I, I don't know, and, and 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 maybe maybe I'm coming to the point where I don't care anymore about about using you know what word is being used um, because it doesn't matter. Ultimately, the only thing that matters is if if you can build golf courses that are authentic, and and maybe that's where I was going with this with this article. If you can build golf courses that are that are more authentic to the landscape, they will be more sustainable. And if they are more sustainable and more authentic, golfers will ultimately go there because they're, they're truer to the landscape and they're better golf experiences. 
Greg, how many projects are spurred by environmental reasons or flood control reasons now compared to when you started your career? Is that where you really see a lot of opportunities and future openings for golf course architects? I've been focusing on that for a number of years now. Um, I've always felt that, that there was a there was a place for golf to solve bigger problems um, than just provide places for recreation. Um, I mean, let's face it; we've got a hundred and you know hundred acres to two hundred and fifty acres, you know, or more in some places um, within within these urban or suburban environments that can that can provide all sorts of uh, um, benefit, whether they be stormwater management or or, or otherwise. Um, it it seems to me that 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 golf, um, you know, capital G, would be far beyond some of these criticisms if if we can continue to adapt these places to provide this kind of environmental benefit. Um, a lot of my work has has been you know generated from stormwater management issues and or solving um, you know, water quality issues. So. Uh, the short answer is, is is there going to be more of it? There's, there's no doubt because um, as cities get bigger and as populations grow, we're going to need to do more and more um, and better management and places that can do that are golf courses. How awesome is it when one of the communities where you've worked gets a big storm? Not that the big storm's awesome, but you see the golf course serve its purpose when, when, when a place has been inundated with water. It's flood control purpose. How cool is it to see it all play together and tie together with the community? We had Ron Witten out at uh, the preserve, you know, a year and a half ago, and and it was after a significant rain event, and most of the golf courses were um, were were closed. Um, and in and in that case, I was I was kind of upset because the golf course wasn't showing off the way it could. Um, and the the best part about it was. The, the, the water was backing up into the places they were supposed to back up, and it was moving slowly like a flooded delta. So um, it was it, you, you want it to shine, but at the it, but at the other you know side of this thing is that um, when it's doing what it's supposed to be doing and it's improving the environment, and you're seeing you know eagles um, that haven't been on site in in years because the, the quality of the environment is better, uh, you recognize that. It isn't supposed to be shining all the time. It's supposed to be doing its job, and uh, it can it can function at a high, very high level uh, for reasons other than just golf. What's 2019 going to be like for you, Greg? Uh, good. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of um, fairly large renovations here in the Chicagoland area. Uh, there's a couple of other interesting projects that are that are on the table um, that are being um, being discussed and and uh, ruminating um, and. Uh, there, there's there's interesting things. I mean, this is this actually this is a very very exciting time to be in the in the business because um, there's new ways of thinking about golf, whether it be environmentally or uh, or otherwise. I mean, nine hole golf courses and and reversibles and and all sorts of things. There's a lot of different things going on, and uh, um, the game isn't going away. Golfers still want to play golf. Uh, they just want to play it in in, uh, in in authentic places. Well, Greg, this was. Awesome. Great to hear that everything's going well. And thanks for everything you do for the golf business and us at Golf Course Industry. We really appreciate it and look forward to catching up with you again soon. I am honored to be part of this industry. And thank you.